Hello, and welcome to another episode of Express Your Shelf, a library podcast. My name is Molly Chenault. And I'm Tiffany Fay. Tiffany, I have a question for you. Shoot. Tiffany, where do libraries come from? That's a great question. So you see, when people love books, I don't know. No, no, no. Where do they come from? Well, I don't know where they all come from, but I do know where our library, the Emporia Public Library, located in scenic and beautiful Emporia, Kansas, I know where that one came from. Would you like to know a little bit more about it? do tell. So, first of all, our library has a birthday this year. Do you want to take a guess on how old the library is going to be? Or is, I guess, since it's this year? We're going to be... Drumroll. 150 years old. That is correct. We are, are we the oldest library? In Kansas. Public library in Kansas. Mm -hmm. I think that is true. Uh, So, spoiler alert, this library was founded only 12 years after the town of Emporia was founded. So, obviously, the founders had their priorities straight because 12 years, they got all the buildings up, probably got the train running, and then they were like, you know what we need? A library association because that is what they started there were a couple leading citizens that set up a library association and since it wasn't what we now think of as a modern public library there were dues for men it was three dollars a year for women it was two dollars a year the first president of the library association in Emporia was someone that you might recognize the name of it was no, I know what you're thinking. It's not William Allen White. It was Preston B. Plum. Oh. The Plum family is pretty well known in Emporia. They have done a lot of good for the community. Their historic home, is, Plum Place, is now a uh, center for transitioning women who don't have homes or are between places right now. So it's not really surprising that they also had a hand in founding the public library. So they met on January 19th in 1870 and decided to rent a room at the Bates and Pearly Drugstore, a building that was on Commercial Street. It's now no longer standing because I did try to find a picture of it, but it is not there. So I could not do that. And they rented that room for no more than $15 a month. Yeah, but in... 1870. In 1870 dollars. That was probably quite a... A chunk of change. I would think that that was probably, yeah, the going rate for renting a so space So we say, at the time. oh, $15, that's... <laughs> I can take that out of my couch or something. <laughs> that's that's three coffees. Yeah. But back then, yeah, that had to have been, like, they were pooling wages together. Right. And it was some of the more affluent people in town. So that's probably... Maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure about inflation rates, but maybe it was a generous amount for the time. But it was a room over the drugstore, so also maybe not. A lady named Miss Blake, I was not able to find a first name, um, is believed to be the first librarian. Her salary was $100 every six months. So that's $200 a year, which once again, with inflation prices, I'm not sure what that comes out to today, 
but sounds pretty impressive for 1870 for a single lady. Mm-hmm. By March of 1871, the library had 31 lifetime members and 145 annual members. Emporia is a pretty modest-sized town, modest Midwest town, um, and I think that that level of participation for a recently founded town in the 1870s was a promising sign. Mm-hmm. They had, to begin with, 764 books and six monthly magazines. I did find a note that one of those magazines was Lippincott's Phrenological Journal. And if you're not aware, phrenology is the study of looking at the bumps and the ridges on someone's head and predicting their personality uh, from those. It's kind of a bogus study. Um, A lot of people tried to use it to predict who was going to be a criminal, which is obviously not the way to do it. But that was one of our our, uh, monthly subscriptions. From 1874 to 1884, the Library Association went through kind of a rough patch. Um, They had some money problems, and even with multiple fundraisers, including a strawberry festival, it was not a good time for them. So that's when they passed a city ordinance to give the library a tax-supported base. And that makes it, that changes it from a library association to what we now know and recognize as a modern public library because of the tax support. Tiffany, can you guess what the next problem that the public library encountered was? Hmm. Could it have been space? You are absolutely correct. Obviously, with 764 books and six monthly subscriptions, the, the library quickly outgrew the rented room at the Bates and Pearly drugstore, so they needed a building, but there was no building, and they couldn't afford a building. So the then-current librarian, Miss Amanda Wicks, who was the librarian in 1893, had been traveling and had heard of the Carnegie Funds to uh, establish public libraries. So she wrote them and got denied. Oh. Yes. There was already a Carnegie Library on the C of E campus, so her first request was denied. However, Amanda Wicks did not give up. She was persistent. She was persistent. Nevertheless, she persisted. Thank you, Amanda Wicks. And her second application, Mr. Carnegie gave $22,000 for a new building. Preston B. Plum also donated land and more money to put the new building on and to help with construction and architectural costs. So that new building, which is the Carnegie Building on 6th Avenue and Market Street, opened on February the 23rd, 1906. There was a lovely reception. I wondered if there was a party. There was definitely a party. Unfortunately, Amanda Wicks had moved recently to Montana. She never actually saw the building that she had applied twice for. She was instrumental in giving us a public library, but she didn't actually see it because she went to Montana, which I hope she had a lovely time there. I bet. Lots of big sky in Montana. I can't look at you right now. (laughs) Maybe she started more libraries there. Yeah. The next librarian was named Martha Wilden. She served for a year at the new Carnegie building, and then she hired a lady named Nora Daniel. Nora Daniel joked, and I have a quote from her, that she got the job because Mrs. Wilden noticed that she always went to church and Sunday school and never whispered. That was the qualifications that got her hired as a librarian. 
It was a pretty interesting thing to read. Never whispered. Never whispered. Nora Daniel never whispered. That's interesting. And she became a librarian. She became a librarian and she stayed a librarian for 50 years. And she, I'm assuming. I don't know if she ever learned to whisper. I would think you'd have, I mean, everybody has that stereotypical. Librarian. Yeah, that notion of a librarian where you just. Just shushing You know, you're constantly. older, you've got a bun and. A cardigan. Yes. Possibly cardigan. cat hair. Yes. Glasses with chain attached. Oh, yes, and you're, the chain. And you're shushing people. And the so little sensible shoes with kitten heels. Yes. Never whispered. Huh. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of a, a fun little fact. I like that fact. One of our most well-known early librarians did not like to whisper. Much like most of our current librarians yep. do not like to whisper. <laughs> I can personally attest to that. So Nora Daniels was the first librarian at Emporia to attend some library science classes at Emporia State University. And those classes, what she learned from them, and then her own experience got the library through the years uh, surrounding the Great Depression uh, when things were tight. During this time, they didn't just survive, but they also thrived. She started a record collection. Newspapers were just beginning to be microfilmed, so that collection began during that time. Their annual budget increased from $2,000 a year to $27,000 a year, which is a pretty substantial increase. Yeah. And Mrs. Daniel is remembered for her love of helping people and her dedication to the community. And never whispering. And never whispering. Although I think that may just be something that we're stuck on. When Mrs. Daniel retired, a lady named Mrs. Beryl Ligel was the director, and she was the director when the library started receiving federal funds, which was then a new concept to support libraries. She started a framed art reproduction service of quality prints. She updated the record collection. She was the lady who started the homebound service and increased the number of large print books. And this next one is something that I kind of laughed at, but I guess it wouldn't be a a given. I have to remember the time period. She added telephone books to the reference section. Oh, wow. Now I think of telephone books as something that I really want to get rid of because why do I have so many? Why do they keep giving them to me? I don't understand. But she added them to the reference section. She also updated the genealogy, business, and reference departments. And her crowning achievement, in my words, not hers, she added a Xerox copier. And what year was this? I don't know exactly, but it was in the 1970s. Wow. So we were making big moves. Yeah. We were the Trendsetters. cutting edge of technology. Xeroxing. But we were out of space again. The Carnegie Building, which was a really nice building when it was built and it really met the needs of the community, was too small. The collection and the people had outgrown it. So to combat the space problem, Mrs. Ligel helped start the Friends of the Library. She invited some members of the community to start the Friends of the Library so that they could raise money for a building fund. So what they did was they started their book sales. Their first book sale made $479. Wow. Of course, I believe the fall book sale this year brought in I want to say eleven or $12,000. I think it was somewhere close to that. But in the 1970s, this was a pretty significant amount. So their friends used funds that they raised from the book sale and from other fundraisers to buy a projector and a screen. And they started the brown bag lunches and established a building fund. 
Well, it's really cool that it was started in the 70s and it's still going strong today. So, now that between the friends and then other donations and funds, they had enough money to build a new building, they got to work. Mrs. Ligel retired in 1975 and a man named Dan Massoni started. He was the person, he was the director who oversaw the construction of our current building, which is a lovely red brick building on the corner of 6th Avenue and Mechanic Street. Now, how easy do you think it is to build a building? I mean, my first impression would be to say, like, if you're an engineer (laughs) or if you own a construction company, it should be pretty easy. But I'm guessing the answer is very, very difficult. I don't know about very difficult, but they definitely ran into challenges. Some interesting (laughs) challenges. They broke ground to do the foundation, and they dug about three feet down. And then do you know what they hit? They hit about 18 inches of horse manure. Because the site for our current library used to be a livery stable. And I guess instead of, you know, cleaning up, they just kind of threw dirt on top of it. So they had to move that, which I'm sure was the most sought-after job. Oh, yeah. Then, when they were putting up pillars for the basement, they hit an old well. And that old well still had 20 earthenware jugs in it from where they used to take them, and they put them in the well to keep them cool during the summer. And I guess someone had just not bothered to take their jugs with them when they went. (laughs) I don't know what happened to those jugs. Maybe that person was like, BRB, I'll come back for them. (laughs) I'll be back for my jugs. And then they drove in their prairie wagon to Nebraska to visit family and forgot their drugs. I'm not sure. So they had to get around all of these challenges. I'm sure they probably filled in the well and moved the horse manure. And then they built our building. And for the time period in the 1970s and 80s, this was a really, really cool building. We have a huge atrium, which lets a lot of light in. We have a dedicated children's space. Now, things have been changed as different technologies have emerged and been introduced. So instead of having a record collection, you know, we don't have that anymore, but we do have an expanded uh, nonfiction section and young adult section. DVDs. Uh, we have DVDs. So we have a lot of different things and we've, we've repurposed the space over time. Uh, we got a donation and built study rooms for people to come and use when they needed to do meetings or work on projects, homework, whatever they needed. We have recently replaced the carpeting in the building. And then we replaced last summer all of the ceiling tiles, which were original to the 1970s building. We were very happy to have that done and it looks amazing. Yeah, looks a lot brighter. Uh, There's also plans to renovate the children's room in the future. And we're not sure how that's going to look yet, but it definitely needs an update. Because just like the library, all the other versions of EPL, we're also facing the same challenge that they did in the 1870s and the 1970s. We're running out of space. We are. We are out of space because not only do we have to house our collection of items, so we have 
books, we have audiobooks, we have DVDs, we have all sorts of things. But then we also do a lot of programming. And we do programming for all ages. We do adults, teenagers, college age, children. But we are running out of spaces because our community is Emporia, still growing. Mm. And we are trying to grow with it. And that means that <laughs> we need more room. So I don't know that there's immediate plans for that. But I have a feeling that we will soon be looking into more options for space. I don't think we can just write Mr. Carnegie anymore. Yeah. But we will find a way. Just like Amanda Wicks. Just like Amanda Wicks. I don't know that I'm moving to Montana afterwards. No, I don't think I'm going to either. Too much snow. So that's the history of the Emporia Public Library. We're 150 years and going strong. We're doing some birthday celebrations this year. Right now we have... March Madness going on where you can vote for your favorite book in each bracket. We have an adult version and a children's version. So in the in the past, I just one one comment though. Since it is March and March is Women's History Month, I am curious about one thing. So most of the names that you put in there that you were talking about, they're women. They are. I mean there's only a couple of men, not to say that men weren't an integral part of building this library. But uh it's Really amazing. that, And most of these women were most likely single at the time. Um, if you're working and you're a woman in that time period, like in the 1870s and 90s, in the, the, into the 1960s and 70s, yeah, she could be married. But like most of them, miss? Mrs. Yeah, misses. A lot of them. I think the only one that it was specifically said was a miss was the very first librarian whose name was Miss Blake. Um, the rest of them are listed as misses. As misses. That's still really eye-opening, I guess, that these women, they felt so strongly that their community needed a library. And by gosh, they made the library. They, yeah, they're gonna, they, they made it happen. Well, and we're talking a lot about building space and, and room and funds, but for a lot of people in the community, the librarians are the library because i mean you can have a million books on the shelf which we don't because space right but if you don't have a librarian to help you then those books aren't going to be as much use to you as they could be we're here to help find information and to research things and to just help you connect with what you're looking for and i really do think that if um, like Mrs. Daniel hadn't been around during the Great Depression years and hadn't steered the library through those, we might not be here today. And I know that we serve Emporia, but also Lyon County in general. And a lot of the smaller towns don't have a library or have a library, but it's not um, very big. So we make a pretty big impact on the whole county. So yeah, thank you to those women. Thanks, ladies. Thanks for tuning in and listening to another episode of Express Your Shelf, a library podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, please email us at reference at emporialibrary.org. That's reference at E-M-P-O-R-I-A dot org. And thanks for listening. I saw the splendor of the moonlight upon the blue, blue bay. 